The Giant. Thinkers. Giant Thinkers Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm Ram Castillo, and in this podcast, I'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers, creatives, and giant thinkers. Hello, wonderful giants. Ram here. Welcome to episode number 60. Today, we have a former host of Getaway, which is actually Australia's longest running travel and lifestyle TV program. And he appeared on Getaway for almost 400 episodes over eight years. He's hosted the Logies Red Carpet, game shows, reality TV, live events, celebrity interviews, and plenty more. He is a highly respected Australian TV and radio superstar. On top of that, in the digital space, he is widely known as the founder of global influencer marketing platform, Tribe, which connects brands with micro-influencers. Some of the topics we spoke about include the extreme lengths he went to in order to land a spot on Getaway, advice on how to get match fit no matter what we are pursuing, his take on the differences between TV, radio, and social media, and why it matters, advice for those that want to branch out and expand their creative output, tips on how to get from concept to first round iteration if you are wanting to create an app, and his four ingredients for staying in peak performance. If you're someone who is interested in the intersections of broadcasting, entrepreneurship, technology, and design, then this episode is for you. Now, before we begin, I'd like to briefly mention an app that I use every single day that I know you'll love too. Because if you're like me, you've found yourself with a continuously growing list of books that you want to read, or worse, you've bought books and haven't touched them since purchasing them. You just haven't found the time to read them all, right? Well, I'm excited to let you know that our friends at Blinkist have solved this dilemma once and for all. What if I told you that you could get the key learnings from the top four books you've been putting off reading in the time it would take you to finish this podcast? And I'm not talking about listening to audiobooks at three times their normal speed. Blinkist is the only app that takes thousands of the best-selling non-fiction books in the world and distills them down to the most impactful elements. So you can read or listen to them in under 15 minutes all on your phone. I personally like to listen to Blinkist in the morning, usually when I'm having my breakfast, also when I'm on my way to the office. So for you, that might look like driving in the car, riding a train, bus or walking to work. And the beauty is you can listen anytime and anywhere that's most convenient to you. Now, the Blinkist library is massive from timeless classics like Think and Grow Rich to bestsellers like Robert Cialdini's book titled Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion, and Tim Ferriss's The 4-Hour Workweek. In fact, all of Tim Ferriss's books are all on Blinkist, including Tools of Titans. My personal recommendation is to check out Start With Why by Simon Sinek and The 7 Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Blinkist is constantly curating and adding new titles from the best of lists. So you're always getting the most powerful ideas in a made for mobile format. Five million people 
are using Blinkist to learn efficiently, 15 minutes at a time, and you can too. So to start you off, they are giving us a generous offer of 25% off for the Giant Thinkers listeners by heading to giantthinkers.com slash Blinkist. You can start your free trial or get three months off your yearly plan when you join today. So if you do decide to purchase the yearly plan, to be completely transparent, it works out to be $5 a month. And if my math is right, that's 16 cents a day. So once again, that's giantthinkers.com slash Blinkist. Head there to start your free trial or get three months off your yearly plan. The 25% off is automatically applied when you head to giantthinkers.com slash B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T or click the link on the write-up of this episode. Alrighty, let's get stuck in. I present to you the quick-thinking, fast-moving, and determined Jules Lund. Jules Lund, welcome to the Giant Thinkers podcast, mate. I'm so excited to have you on the show. How are you doing today? Never been better, Ram. Thanks for the invite, my friend. Well, we actually connected through a mutual friend, Andrew, Billy Baxter, as he's known, uh, introduced us. So um, he's actually been on the show, episode 48. So thanks to uh, Billy for linking us. <laughs> I actually call him the human LinkedIn. Literally <laughs> every third day, I, I just get an email saying, connecting you both. Like I got one this morning, I've got to keep up with them. And it's just, it's just Billy having great conversations with giant thinkers and um, putting people in touch. So um, yeah, he's a, he's a superstar, but he, he certainly knows more people than I can imagine. Yeah, I opened up that can of worms. Actually, I said, uh, hey, Billy, would you have any one that you would, you know, recommend that you, uh, <laughs> that you, you know, think would be great for the show? And then the following day, I had like 15 email intros. So um, <laughs> he's good for that. Uh, so first yeah. off, Jules, I have an icebreaker question for you. If you had to pick uh, who are your top three favorite influencers that you follow and are a big fan of? Okay. Um, I would have to say um, Tom Goodwin, um, who is, I think, uh, one of the marketing heads within Havas, lives out of New York City. Um, he was the one who coined that, um, that famous quote a, a few years ago, um, which was that... Um, Alibaba, the most valuable retailer, has no inventory. Uber, the world's largest taxi fleet, has no um, cars. Airbnb, the largest accommodation provider, owns no real estate whatsoever. And Facebook, the most popular media owner, creates no content. Something very interesting is happening. So um, I love watching and reading about um, his insights on LinkedIn. Um, same as Mark Ritson, who's another marketer uh, that I find quite influential. And he's um, nice and hot-headed and he just um, calls a spade a spade. And then um, in terms of social, um, I suppose um, uh, someone I enjoy following, would they be an influencer? I suppose in some ways the Batuta Advocate is a satirical uh, news publisher pretending they're from a, a, an back country town called Batuta, which I think does exist, and they just uh, write very um, sharp headlines that I find hilarious all throughout the day. Amazing. So those those three names again, I'm going to have to follow them myself. Tom Goodwin. So it's best to follow him on LinkedIn. 
Uh, Mark Ritson, I'd also say follow him on um, LinkedIn. He also does a lot of talks around the globe in Australia and um, and in the UK, where which is where he's originally from. He writes for the Australian as well. And then Batuta Advocate. Uh, it's a hilarious. It's probably one of the gr- fastest growing um, uh, comedy. Um, uh, what would you say? Comedy groups um, sort of rising over the last couple of years. So. Well done to them. In fact, they've probably only started mid last year, but um, they've gained great traction for just being hilarious. Very cool, mate. Uh, I'll I'll definitely give them a follow. Now, where would you say your expertise lies? Uh, well, I think uh, first and foremost, I'm not very embarrassed by having no fucking idea what I'm doing. You know, like I, I embrace that and I'm comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I also um, accept the notion that everyone is stupid until um, until they know, until they have, um, you know, achieved the information needed to be knowledgeable. So there's, you know, there's just a very clean line between being stupid and um, and then uh, and knowing. So I have no problem with being stupid. All I do is I surround myself with specialists and I've always had a great um, appreciation for um, mentorship um, and, you know, I've been very lucky in my life having fantastic mentors. I've, I've never been embarrassed about asking for advice. Whenever I hit uh, a question mark, I think, who can I ask? Because uh, in the same respect, you know, I'm a specialist in my field and, you know, I, over sort of 15 years in TV and radio, and whenever someone rang me up, I was able to just probably carve out um, and fast track them through months, if not years, of soul searching and mistake making, um, and just go, listen, don't waste your time with this. And so I, I love the fast track nature of um, using specialist resources at any um, at any point. And so, in terms of my expertise, um. I, I actually think one thing that I'm I'm good at is putting myself in uh, my audience's mind, you know, putting myself in someone else's shoes. And I would say that that is less about marketing and more about psychology. Um, and I think that was sort of, I think, you know, my mum's quite emotionally intuitive and I think you know, I might have got a little bit from there and then I really refined it. You know, I was a sort of involved in a, a um, like a, oh God, it's like a, it's called the Reach Foundation and it's it's about inspiring greatness in, in young people. And I was involved when I was 15 and I got mentored by some great people there. And it was about, I suppose, um, helping others around you. And I suppose through that process, and I, you know, I probably worked with 100,000 odd teenagers running life coaching workshops out in secondary schools. You know, you had to be really aware of other people's needs. And I suppose, as much as I would be presenting, I would be trying to put myself in the shoes of the audience. And then I extended that into television and radio and you're constantly going, how do I sound? What? How, how would I occur to that person? And then I, I suppose I've always loved marketing and visual communication and marketing is really just that. It's like, right, I need to reach that persona. How do I package something? How do I visually communicate something that they receive favourably? You know, for me, that's just marketing you have to engage and you have to create content that resonates and so um i think 
in everything that we do within Tribe. You know, we, we don't have a lot of time and also we created a category that didn't exist. You know, we started building this thing when there was no demand really um, for what we what we do at, at Tribe. But um, And people would say, oh, look, what does the audience think? And I was like, the audience doesn't know what they think. I have to sort of put myself in their shoes and, and, and solve an issue before they have the awareness to complain about it. And so, you know, like, and it reminds me that um, I think Henry Ford said, you know, if I asked my, you know, if I if I asked customers what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse, you know. So I had to understand their need, and then I produced and um, designed the automobile. So um, I suppose that's one of my things. It's about going right. What 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 is someone possibly needing here, and how can I provide it um, ahead of time? I actually think you can teach it and I think you can learn it. Like I, I think you refine it and exactly as you say, the more information that goes in and the more times you sense check or, 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 or pressure test things, like um, I, I found that social media was the greatest way for me to understand and get into um, the shoes of my audience because TV was like um, it was like being on stage really it just you're just spitting stuff out um, one way radio um, the the very medium is more around your audience is um, eavesdropping on a personal conversation and every now and then they chip in and that's when we would take you know um, phone calls and you'd get a sense of that but when social media came along it was a two-way conversation and so you would broadcast like I did on TV or broadcast um, like I did on radio, but all of a sudden you had comments and those and you had likes and you it was the perfect feedback necessary for you to know am I on a winner and you would be able to see when you're on a, a loser and you'd be able to slowly get your eye in. And I, I find social media to be incredible for that and if you don't listen back you're just missing out on um, your craft getting sharper and sharper and sharper so we'll talk about uh the the journey that you had at the beginning uh i say at the beginning of this this field which um you you studied graphic design photography and film actually i don't know if a lot of people know that but uh uh you shortly uh, after that, won Fox FM Radio's 15 Days of Fame competition in 2001. Um, now, before we get into that stage of your life, how did you kind of grow up? What was the childhood like? You know, what, where did, where did you grow up? And, and you briefly mentioned your mum there, but um, what kind of upbringing would you, would you say you had? I look a really um, a liberal liberal one. Like my parents are um, crazy, larger than life individuals, and we were very, very social growing up. And we had a lot of freedom. You know, we'd jump on our BMXs, and you know, you could we could pretty much do anything, which um, gave me a great sense of independence. I was the fourth kid as well, so by the time it got to me, my parents were like, "He'll he, he'll be right." Um, <laughs> Which was which was awesome. Um, it was also very creative. Um, I've always been sort of, I suppose, two parts creative, two parts analytical. Um, so you know, through school, I studied graphic design and photography, and um, 
and and art, but also as part of those, there was always the analytical side. So I always I love the creative um, writing um, through English and literature, but I also love the analytical side through um, you know analyzing artworks, analyzing um, uh, architecture, analyzing um, photography. So it was just nice that nice sort of um, combination of the two. But I'd always I've always been a perfectionist. Like probably my biggest um, one of my biggest, well, I suppose, gift and a curse is just that that OCD around detail. And so, you know, I even remember in year eight, every Wednesday I would skip sport because um, I was short and fat, and um, and I would um, I would go up to the library, local library, and I'd spend eight hours solid just doing science um, homework or maths, etc. Because it just, you know, I wanted, I always wanted to get A pluses, and it just and I did, but it just took me so much longer, you know, like, it, it, and so I, I just needed more hours in my week, but I just was, I just would work relentlessly um, uh, until I was able to achieve, achieve what I wanted. And, um, you know, I've, as I get older, you know, my biggest, you know, because I demand so much from myself, but it's been really hard working as part of teams. And one of the big learning curves of starting my own company with, you know, 50-odd um, full-timers is that I, I can't demand from them what I demand from myself. And, in fact, I also have to cut myself some slack. So just getting – it's just managing um, that quality control, which I find um, incredibly um, debilitating at times. Yeah. Um, the, the thing that stands out uh, for me is that, um, you know, you, you've had that uh, transferable determination in everything that you're doing. And, and congratulations, by the way, 50 staff, that's uh, not an easy task, first of all, um, for any startup. Um, what I wanted to ask was the period of time when you finished your, your course and graphic design, photography and film, they're all specific disciplines there. Um, did you have your heart set on any one of those? Because radio itself is another discipline and you kind of went in that direction. Yeah. Look, um, to be honest, I've – it's funny. If you refine discipline, like if you actually practice discipline, then you can choose anything you want and you'll do all right at it. Do you know what I mean? And so I've always worked hard at whatever I've set my mind to, which has enabled me the freedom to choose whatever I wanted whenever I wanted, you know, so because I, I just then apply myself. And um, the key to it is I just have to have interest. And so through school I loved art um, and then um, I also loved, you know, animals. So, you know, originally I wanted to become a vet and then um, I, I, you know, I started to do more artistic stuff and I used to do a lot of pencil sketches and, you know, I was really passionate about that. And that sort of led, because I was anal, it led me towards um, uh, architecture or graphic design more than just expressive art. Um, I also sort of started, like, was aiming for advertising because I always loved ads. Like, I've always looked at marketing and, and advertising and, and um, had an opinion on it or loved things or, you know, I, I don't know why I've always been fascinated by that. Um, but then, you know, I, I fell into this whole life coaching thing um, because of the Reach Foundation and 
And then from there, I, I wanted to learn more about myself and I realized, shit, there's a lot of things you can unlock. And I was being a bit of a smart ass in life and not really getting what I wanted. So um, I then got a scholarship for hypnosis because that was part of the discipline of being able to um, uh, help young people at the time and doing clinical um, hypnotherapy. And then it was sort of I was doing all these things and then I travelled overseas because I thought I can't um, advise young people on how to live live their life when I was a young person myself and I hadn't been to the, you know, I haven't, I didn't have a lot of life experience. So that's when I sort of did a summer camp, travelled overseas for eight months and and travelled for a lot of that by myself through Europe. And when I was in America, I went to a lot of um, uh, a lot of uh, talk shows like Roseanne Barr and Jerry Springer and Ricky Lake and Sally Jesse Raphael and all these sort of things. And I ended up getting on stage a lot and being a smartass in the audience just because we had nothing to lose, my friend and I, Josh. And it was actually very funny and playful. And we got to meet a lot of these people like Jerry Springer. And, and I came home and went, geez, that really felt good. I'd be interested to try that. And so within a month, I sort of had, had won this, well, not won, but earned this audition or had a successful audition with Eddie Maguire um, and got on a pilot for a kid's show. And then, you know, then not long after that, I won this competition. And it was just for 15 days, a crash course in everything you can imagine in the industry. So I was emceeing gigs. I was interviewing people on radio. Um, I was in fashion shoots. I was on television. Um, and... It, it, I really loved it. I enjoyed it. And so from there, um, I thought as well as the life coaching stuff, I might just get into the entertainment world. And so I did that and I did it obviously for 15 years. And then it was only when I moved from TV into radio that I, I realized that all my ideas were visual. They didn't really work on air. And then so they said, look, work on our social media platforms that no one cares about here in, in radio. And it was only there that I sort of re-tapped back into my graphic design and my love of um, visual communication. So, you know, we'd have all these great um pieces of audio that would broadcast to a radio audience. And then I was saying, we've already done all the work. Let's turn that into a video. Let's turn some video cameras on. Or, you know, like that's a really funny meme. You know, let's get a photo of that and ask people to caption it. And so I started to take the radio show and sort of put it into the chop shop and I'd, I'd break it up between Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And then because of that, our Facebook audience um, grew. And from there, I started to go, wow, there's something really here. And so then I fell in love with social media to the point where I was starting to be offered a lot of money to do sponsored posts. And this is before there was such a thing as influencer marketing. And I said, if, if, we, if, if we're going to do this, if brands are going to connect with people like me, we've got to make it easy. And that's where I just developed the app. And so then I was excited about that. So I was doing radio and I was like, I want to work on this app in the background. And then I finished up on radio and now I'm a, a, a founder of a tech company that is producing a, a, an influencer marketing app. And I'll just follow this for a while until I get bored of this and then probably hopefully make some money and then I'll go, fuck it. Now I want to be a travel photographer. So I'll take my, my, my lenses out on the road and I'll start taking photos and putting them in galleries or put a book together or something. You know, like I'll just keep following whatever it is. Mm. It's an incredible story, Jules. And, uh, you know, there is a lot of hard work behind that. And, and I certainly, you know, want that to be a, a narrative that uh, is, is immersed in our conversation here because, 
you know, a big part of your influence, let's just call it that to, to some degree, has been your time at Getaway, for example. So um, we'll, we'll dive into that for a little bit and then we're going we're gonna to talk about Tribe. Um, at 22 years old, you wrote down that you wanted to be a host on Getaway and within 12 months, you obsessively endeavored to make that happen. Um, and by the end, you had a three-minute showreel video and you broke down exactly what you needed to do each month, each week, each day, down to the hour to create that three-minute reel and, and to create that um, you know, proposal to try to get on Getaway, which by the way, I think everyone wanted to be on Getaway at some point <laughs> in their life in Australia. Talk us through that particular journey of pitching that video and, and trying to apply for uh, a presenter role. Yeah, okay. Well, I said, look, I want to be, once I said I want to be a TV host or a TV reporter, um, I, I may as well have gone for the dream gig. And so that's what I wrote down. It was just the 20 to 25-year-old adventurous host on Getaway. And so, um, yeah, as you said, I just literally just broke it down and and um, tried to become uh, uh, an undeniable asset to that team. And, um, I mean, it's it's pretty straightforward. So I just did every – I mean, I, I wasn't any of the things I needed to be in many ways. Um, so I just did every TV presenting course I could find in the country, ran out of those, did voiceover courses and acting courses because it was just performance. Uh, I learned from a lot of people, so I um, – uh, I went to uh, TV recordings and, and watched those guys. I read autobiographies by TV presenters like you know, Oprah Winfrey and the like. Um, and then I, I worked on my memory. So I didn't, you know, read up about memory tests because I knew that I had to learn scripts. I recorded a lot of television and people that I, I wanted to be like. And what I'd do is I'd, I'd record um, their pieces of camera and then I'd write them down and then I'd learn them and I'd perform them to, to camera. I, I had my cousin and his handycam help me out because once I ran out of all the TV presenting courses, um, I, I decided to just create my own course and just um, uh, confront every weakness that I had. So I would write down the weaknesses um, or the fears and so, say, for instance, one of them was, you know, when I'm talking to camera, I'd be scared that I'd be distracted by something ha happening, you know, and if I wanted to be a getaway reporter, I was going to be out on the street, and that's bloody difficult. And so, yeah, I'd do exactly that. I'd, I'd get my cousin, I'd, he, he would, you know, we did a whole heap of things. Sometimes he'd give me a full script and it would be way too long. Other times he would just give me three dot points and I'd learn them. Um, sometimes I'd have a day to learn the script. Sometimes he'd give it to me straight away, whatever it was, just to try to get match fit. If you can imagine it was like a um, Team America or a Van Damme movie, this was the montage moment. You know, <laughs> it was just cutting together all these stupid tv presenting. i was gonna say what, what was in it <laughs> in the three minute yeah. reel oh it would be boring oh well the the well the actual three i mean i'm talking about the montage moment of the training but right right um but you know in some 80s american film but so you know like i say distracting and then then i would just go all right supermarket you know, peak hour, stand in the doorway, um, the automatic doors are coming either side, people are pushing past me with trolleys and I would put my, you know, cousin there and he'd be filming it and I'd have to basically, no matter what distraction or who's pushing past me, stick to the script and, and keep my eyes down the barrel. And so it was all of these things and the other ones I was embarrassed about, 
you know, being seen by friends, you know, you feel like an idiot on the street. So I, you know, I was like, all right, how can I amplify this situation? And so I'd stand on a bin across the road from the jam factory in, in Chapel Street, Paran, and I'd have him on the other side, you know, imagining that friends of mine would be driving through the centre and I'd look like this absolute flog. And so it was all these things. And the, and the idea behind them was not that I'd have to stand on bins for getaway, but, you know, that asked me to do something. I said, well, yeah, no worries. I mean, I've stood on a bin and didn't have a problem. And all of a sudden that little devil on my shoulder or that, that, that voice of doubt would um, – would be silence because I, I would go, well, I've done it. I can do that stuff. You know, I've proven it before and and to get myself match fit. So then I just wrote all these scripts. Uh, I, I spent probably 10 grand on camera crews, photographers, and tried to make something really professional and then and put all these VHSs together and, and made 250 of them and gave out three. And, and uh, I got the call from Getaway and Channel 9 saying, uh, we've seen your video and, and we, we want to audition you, but there's a good chance you'll get it. And so literally, you know, within 12 months, I had exactly the gig I wanted and I had 247 VHS tapes sitting under my 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 bed at my mum and dad's house. How did it feel, mate, after all of that work and effort getting that response? Oh, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, I had a really lucky few years. <laughs> like I had a... I had, a, I had a really lucky few years, you know. I, you know, I won that fifth, and they're lucky breaks. I won 15 days of fame, which basically just gave me this leg up. Channel 9 was already saying, hey, we'll pay you to be on, you know, on our payroll and be part of the thing. And I said no because I, I knew that often they would just buy you and then put you on a shelf, call it warehousing. And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I want to. I know it's a good opportunity, but I want to I wanna actually keep working and doing some cool stuff. And then, you know, like literally eight days later, I went to another audition and on the street and I and I nailed that um, mainly because I knew the guy who was doing, doing the interviews for the audition and he had the script. So I learned the script. Everyone else had it just rammed in their face. So I... Um, I um, I got that. And then I was, tra- you know, from that, I was traveling around the globe for ESPN launching the X game. So, you know, that competition sort of gave me five grand. I went to Barcelona and Brazil and Philadelphia a couple of times. And, and that was huge. So that gave me experience too. And then I got the getaway gig. Um, so I've been, you know, I've been really fortunate. Yeah. I think uh, as well, the, the, the powerful thing about your whole story was that uh, exposure has given you the conditioning that, as you say, has gotten you match fit. And I think um, that's such an important point for anyone listening. Uh, You know, I can relate on so many levels of that. You know, it sucks at first and you've got to kind of go through the motions, but there is no easy way to success, whatever that means to you in in anything. Um, I think you know, when I look back at my first talk and I've done over 60 now around the world, I look back at my first talk that I recorded and I was like, gee, what, what an uncomfortable fella right there. You know, I looked at myself just, you know, critiquing, but I had to go through it, you know, and it's, it's only until you, you, you go through the motions, as you said, you're in between the doors of, uh, the, the, the grocery store. Um, sometimes that's what it takes. So, uh, I, yeah. Uh, and look, yeah. you know, I've always noticed, you know, like you, 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 success comes from the person you are when no one's looking. And it's like that's, you know, there's just so much 
it's just so much work. Like the gig that I'm doing at the moment, this company is just, I mean, the constant tension, you know, the lack of time, having to balance everything, the, the long hours. I mean, they're super intense things and you just don't want to do them forever because you miss out on life. I mean, that's the reality. And you're a father too, so juggling just your personal yeah. life as well. <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to meeting those two girls eventually, but when I get out of the office. Um, <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, it, it's, it, it takes an enormous amount, you know, yeah. and, and to, be, to be obsessive and, and to just put your head down and just, you know, it's, it's all the training. I mean, you look at people like Olympians or, you know, tennis stars or whatever, you know, it's just the amount of grueling hours where there's no glory and it's absolutely boring as hell. You know, like the times where I've had to, you know, like hosting the Logies for 10 years, the Logies red carpet, like, you know, people think, oh, you just casually just go out there and talk to camera, but <laughs> I'm the opposite. Like, you know, I put in ridiculous amounts of preparation. Like I'm talking into a hairbrush, you know, um, two days before it. So I'll write almost word for word and then what I'll do is I'll learn it the you know a day before so and I go over it and I I have my script so it's a 60 second opening piece to camera and I know that a crane's coming down and there's everyone standing around the whole country's media is on the side of that red carpet looking at me if I take five takes I'm cactus right and so I just go right I've just got to do this right so I'll write the pieces and then I'll learn it and I'll write a list I'll be looking in a mirror and, and I'll do 15 or 20 um, things, and it is brutally boring. And then, you know, the next, and then I go to sleep, and that script just sinks in, right? So the next day, you know, because by the time you do 15, 20, you, you don't know, you, you actually can't apply any meaning to it. The words don't mean anything anymore. It's just this weird thing. It's really dangerous. And it, and it doesn't sink in. You get tripped over the words. You go to sleep, all of a sudden you do that piece, and all those words and you, and what you've, you've drilled into your brain the day before all just within reach and you just casually can roll that out. And then that's that day. Then I'll go over and put my poor wife. I'll be doing Q and A's with her and trying to prepare for any possible direction that um, one of my guests is going to go in. And so that I look, you know, like basic, you just, it's like getaway too. You just, the, you know, you, the amount of work that we used to do to make it look like we didn't work at all. It was incredible. Uh, I love it because it's so important that you're bringing this to light. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where this is a big reason why I started the podcast, uh, speaking with people like yourself uh, at a, a level with which people really aspire to. Um, and and I think, you know, even with with things like this, the, the show itself, and you've had a lot of, you know, experience on multiple platforms, but even when I got into podcasting, I'd, I'd had no experience podcasting, but I thought there is no way that this, that any interview is going to be engaging unless I really know who I'm talking to. And so mm. as an example, your, you know, your um, interview, we locked in uh, probably about a week in advance. And in the past week, all I've been doing is watching videos about you. Um, <laughs> hey, poor bastard. <laughs> And, you know, I've, I've probably watched a good, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I've probably watched about four hours worth of you. Um, just, yeah. And one of those, one of those talks was a, 
was it was oh. you know you visited the startup grind in 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 um in Melbourne I think it is and you did a talk there with your with your CEO and I watched the whole thing end to end yeah and you know I probably only got maybe you know two questions that I that triggered something of value and then I'll watch another thing but you know what I say to people same thing you know you've got to put in the hours and it's the shit things that people yeah. are like oh, wow, that was a really good interview. And I'm like, yeah, you have no idea how much I prepared for that. Not only did I do yeah. that, I read all their articles. I read their books. Yeah. I, read, I read everything and watched everything. Yeah. So uh, thank you for, for putting that out there. Um, now, so in 2004, you officially became a presenter on Channel 9's Getaway. You appeared in almost 400 episodes uh, before leaving in 2012, so almost an eight-year stint. Were there any specific moments or tasks that, you weren't prepared for as much as you tried to be, you know, if there were any moments that kind of caught you off guard, how did you navigate through them? Because I think so many people get into jobs that they're worried about, you know, things are going to go wrong, but at the end of the day, you live and you learn. So were there any things that stood out for you that you weren't really prepared for? Oh, look, you know, from getaway, they were the best things for me. So, you know, I, I was, I would force myself into situations and and the only stories I loved were the ones where I was completely out of control, you know, so I would be purely reactive and I I felt like they were the most genuine times where, you know, I'd get out of my sort of controlling nature of having everything sorted to actually just being completely in the passenger seat being dragged along. And so things like running with the bulls or bungee jumping or, you know, uh, interacting with um, uh, primitive tribes, uh, the Maasai warriors in Kenya, for instance, like that—that that was when I loved it the most. Um, but the key to it is, with everything, I think is you know I always over prepare so that I then have the the comfort to relax. I, my brain isn't full of anxiety and doubtful thoughts like shit. Have I got this? And what what happens if this happens? What happens if this happens? Like I, I'm totally comfortable right and then I just let it all go and now because I'm relaxed I have the presence of mind to be reactive and to be able to say those fresh moments and that's what I mean about those logies moments was you know like I would prepare so much so that I could now be present in the moment I'd have the capacity and the presence of mind to be able to be playful and muck around and that's that is what people would see and feel in the TV show, but all the other stuff that I put the preparation is really just the foundation. But I think those things combined was always better for me, um, in my opinion. But getaway, not so much. But I remember early on, and I suppose one of the big reasons why I've put so much effort in is genuine fear. You know, like I I beat myself up. You know, like I don't I don't want to let myself down. I, I hate that. And I remember um, when I won that competition to, (laughs) it's funny, as I said, like I was on the street and they gave me a script and they said, right, I want you to, you know, do a piece to camera as if you were hosting the X Games. The producer didn't know that I had already learnt that script and I'd even learnt the script and I'd even created fake stumbles in the script to then create a stumble and then create a gag off the back of the stumble, <laughs> right? So um, uh, 
It was, yeah, I, I can't even remember. It was something to do with, um, you know, skydiving versus mud wrestling and getting them mixed up and saying, well, you'd prefer to have wind in your crack than mud or something. But it was like I stuffed it intentionally and then because I, I was wanting to prove that I could think quick on my feet. <laughs> but I just, I, I I'd thought about it the day before and learned the script, right? And so he was like, far out. This is amazing. This guy was just... <laughs> And and he, he even commented on that, like, you know, months later, wow, and I knew it was you that we had to use because, you know, you, you caught yourself and it was even funnier than the straight piece. The problem was um, three weeks later we landed in Barcelona. It was like 45 degrees, I reckon, and I was um, – I was completely and utterly jet-lagged. I was 22, and we went out, and this same producer said, let's do some pieces to camera, and he set up his camera, and we started to film, and and this crowd started to build around us, right, a big crowd. The problem was um, he had given me these pieces, um, he had written these pieces to camera, right, but they were like about 45 seconds each. And there was about, I'd like to say there was about five or six of them, right? And they, the variations of them were so subtle that my brain could not fucking remember these scripts. And it was like, you know, and we've got Trav Pastrano who's on the motocross um, vert bike um, semi-final that's going to be followed up by the um, the final of the Moto X. Like it was just these, and I was a like I didn't know anything about X Games, so it wasn't like they were real names to me or real disciplines or real athlete. Like I just stood there. The camera came up, and lucky it wasn't live because and the cameraman for some reason knew this woman, so he would start recording, and I didn't understand what he was saying anyway because it was in it was in Spanish. Was uh, or Portuguese? He was. He started filming and then started kissing and cuddling this girl, right? And I'm friggin' flipping out. I choke, like absolutely cannot string it. Like an hour and a half, and this I am like wanting to off myself. <laughs> that fear alone of me just absolutely dying a horrible death was the reason why I said I can never be because it was humiliating for me ever be in that position again and so for the rest of my career that's literally what I what I did I I ensured like what I have to drink enough water I have to have enough sleep I have to learn my scripts I have to tell them that's too much writing I have to protect myself to not get there again so that's that's how I dealt with being um being um uh, unprepared this is good it's good stuff uh jules um uh and look you've had an, in, an intensive and extensive tv and radio uh career and an action-packed resume and and now of course founder of influencer marketing platform tribe we'll, we'll chat about that next but for those listening who also want to branch out and expand their creative output what advice would you give to them Oh, look, just follow what interests you. To be honest, you just can't beat the supercharged nature of passion. And so, you know, creativity is about that. Like, you know, you can build fortunes on anything. You know, you can build absolute fortunes. So, and and, and ask yourself, what's the, what's the one thing that you can do better than anyone else you know? And then I would just build and refine and invest in that. 
And, you know, creativity comes from just an expression of fun and enjoyment. And, um, and then, you know, just don't be afraid to build from scratch. Like you said, Ram, you know, you start your first speaking gig or your first podcast, just be cool with that. You know, you're going to suck and that's fine. Just, it's like any muscle. You just got to build it. Um, yeah. That's, that's a hundred percent, uh, exactly what I was thinking, mate. And, you know, um, you've applied that to tribe. So let's, uh, talk about that. If for those that might be unfamiliar, uh, what is it and who is it for? Um, so effectively we are a marketplace that helps brands find everyday people to celebrate them through beautiful content. Um, so it was sort of started as a way to connect brands with micro influencers. You know, there was, when we started, there was no one really knew what influencers were and no one knew what micro influencers were. Like I saw this subset that wasn't celebrities or, um, even fashion bloggers and YouTubers that have 500,000 followers. I was like, no, it's people that have 5,000 followers, 3,000 followers, 20,000 followers. You know, they, they produce better content and they will have more, you know, intimate but highly engaged tribes. And so I wanted to build a platform that was pure tech that was able to connect brands with just their own customers with talents. And so that's effectively what we've been doing. And in, the, in those days, we were calling them citizen influencers, meaning just normal people. And then micro influencers sort of came about and um, we were able to play with that. But really, even the influencer, the, the, the reach doesn't interest me. It's about them being able to create stunning um, gifts, cinemagraphs, photos, because brands are under this enormous pressure um, to engage audiences on social. And on social, you can't just put one image and expect it to work for 10 personas, you know, like you, you could do on a billboard. In social, you need, you know, you if you've got the ability to go, hey, I want to speak to fathers or mothers or daughters or people out of home or people called Sally or people with um, interests in fashion and beauty, you know, the hyper-targeted nature of Facebook is the gift of this generation of marketers. If you're going to say something individually to someone, you need to say it visually and that has to be specific, which means you now need a whole variation of content. And then each piece of content has to be refreshed constantly. So brands are struggling to do that. Like consumers are moving through social um, and, and the platforms are developing the tools, but brands are way behind and they can't just go to creative agencies like they have in the past um, because creative agencies, they can. Creative agencies will do a 90-second ad or do these big marquee content, but then they need a whole volume of content um, that surrounds that. Um, volume, variation, it's got to be disposable, it's got to be cheap. And I believe who better to create content, advertising content that the customers love than the customers themselves. And so in my in my view of the world, it's actually the most authentic form of advertising that we've ever seen. So I've just spent two hours with my camera and my tripod, which I really get to do, you know, going through um, around the city. There's about, you know, 500, um, actually to be more, around the country right now, there's a Bacardi campaign um, and it's just beautiful pictures of Mojito. Um, and essentially Bacardi used Tribe to generate like, 30-odd pieces of content from their own customers 
who'd gone out and purchased a product, they'd made these beautiful mojitos, they'd take these stunning photos, and then they'd submitted them to uh, Bacardi. Bacardi hadn't paid a cent, right? They literally just see all this amazing content. They pick the ones that they love and they decline the ones that they don't. And they picked all these and they've just absolutely run this national campaign in Perth, Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne. So I've just been out there filming at Southern Cross Station in, in Melbourne this um, digital billboard that is got 30 pieces of tribe content just scrolling that looks absolutely stunning. And so, you know, for the price that they paid, it's just criminal. Everyone wins. The the consumers win because it's content made by them. So it's not just hot models going, this is what it looks like. They're real people. Bacardi wins because UGC performs better and um, and it, they got it for cheap and and reach audience and um, and the creator wins because they're getting paid for taking photos with their bloody iPhone. And they're getting paid a lot of money, so we paid out like five million bucks to just punters. Yeah, it's very cool. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, so that's the world that, that I'm living in, and and I, I it's awesome. And I've got a vision that the world's advertising creative can genuinely be generated by the very consumers it's designed to engage. There's absolutely no reason. And whether that's an um, that's billboards, um, Facebook ads, um, uh, print ads, um, you know, anything, the customers should be the ones creating advertising collateral moving forward. Yeah, I, I actually uh, have used Tribe myself and have gotten paid. So it's um, an incredible platform. Um, I, I used it way back when you were probably just uh, maybe six months in, and would have been shit then. <laughs> we were we were we were driving that car while we were building it. It was like that's it. <laughs> yeah, so it's come and it's come so far, and we launched in the UK. Um, which is almost like it's just absolutely going gangbusters and we want to launch in in Singapore too and Australia's going well. It's just it's so much fun to be paying people for just doing what they naturally do and love. Yeah, completely agree. Now, most of the listeners are actually people who have dreams themselves of creating their own product and launching it into market. How did you get from concept to first round iteration as a minimum viable product? So Talk us through, you know, just maybe in a nutshell, like how did you yep. come up with that idea and then bring that to life? Cool. Well, look, you know, I sort of once I was clear on what the model looked like and I spent an enormous amount of time, I'd worked with people early on um, in sort of crafting the idea and then I was like, right, how does this look like in an app? And I probably spent 12 to 18 months literally obsessing about the workflow of it while I was jogging. I was going, and then that goes to that, but that doesn't work so well for them and then that goes to that and that screen, hang on, I don't even need that screen. And so by the time um, I was actually able to... um, work with a developer, it was really well considered. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. Like, and I, um, I still don't. Um, and so I just surrounded myself. So I got two advisors and I gave them, you know, some some equity and and they were able to guide me to raising 760 grand. And um, all I had to do was um, create a PDF, um, visually um, uh paint the picture of what my app would look like, create a video, which, you know, as I've said, that was my strength. You know, the three-minute show, I spent 12 months on it. And the reason why I cut through 
tens of thousands of other people trying to do the same thing was because my three minutes was just so much more superior. I put more effort in, you know. That's how I cut through and I, I did the exact same thing with the pitch. You know, make like I think even my pitch document was a web page that animated rather than just a PDF. So, like, how do you stand out? Are you going to tap someone on the shoulder and that's your one big chance? Like, fucking go above and beyond. And um, so you're so compelling. Able to do that, raise the money, and then with the 760, was able to start building it. Flew a, a, a product guru out from New York City, was able to sit down with me for five days and really scope out what the app and the platform needed to be um, so I could actually communicate because I didn't know what to say to a, a digital agency, um, which we did. And then we had enough money to hire an awesome CEO, Anthony Spurskus, and um, someone, a sales director who represented the brands and someone who represented the influencers, and we started. Um, and then we've just, every time we didn't know what we were doing, we would, would either reach out, get advice, or we would hire someone. And so that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's amazing. I love that story and, and something that I think um, is really useful for people um, from both practicality and, and an expectation point of view. Um, what was your design brief for the brand? Because I've seen a recent ish rebrand which looks amazing a lot of color it's popping um were you quite clear on how you wanted it to look feel and sound like yeah yeah look you know that's i think that's probably you know what we're talking about before one, one of my strengths is you know like i love i love the visual side of things so you know like i'm a frustrated graphic designer like you know in my heart of hearts i'm a i'm a graphic designer and um, I just don't know how to use any of the tools. Like I, I don't have, I don't know how to use Photoshop. I don't know how to use Illustrator, a Final Cut Pro. Like I do all my content <laughs> in Keynote and I cut with iMovie. And so I'm like, it probably wouldn't even take me that long, but I've just never had the gap in my life where I could go and do a really good course. Um, so I just hound the sh- I just stand over someone's shoulder and have done. I don't have to anymore because they now know they can hear me in their voice, in their head without me <laughs> having to be there. But, um, yeah, I just, I've just been painful to work with over the years. Um, and so, yeah, I just, you know, I, I've now got amazing designers here in this company and um, design's a really big value. You know, graphic design, our brand lives and hangs off that and that's just always just been my passion. I've loved branding. Like, you know, I'd love a project just so I could do the brand and just the logo and, you know, work on what it looks like. That for me is my, my most favourite thing on the planet. Has there been any bad advice that you've received while launching Tribe? No, I've had amazing advisors. And um, as I say, you know, like uh, maybe I've had bad advice, but I probably haven't taken it, you know, because I speak to enough people, you know, I come from every angle. And I certainly have people that I there's advice I shouldn't take, but there's, you know, like I've never gone that person, I've never put a line through a person. Like so say, say some from, someone comes to me and they've got all this value, right, but there's 70% of who they are is just antagonistic and they're, they're, they're saying all this other stuff about you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that, but yet there's, they're, they're, they're really skilled in this area. I'll still sit down with them and I'll just be able to just carve off the piece that is shit and that I, I think not, they, they're inexperienced, but I, mean, I focus on that other bit. I never just put a line through someone. So 
and I, I've, I've, because I'm the same. Like if I, you sat down with me, like I would hope that you would be able to filter through the shit and the, you know, because I, I might be overly dramatic, which I am, overly emotive and dramatic on certain things. And I would hope that you'd walk away and go, yeah, once I cut out the Jules, Jules tax, the Jules layer, you know, what is the real insight in that? Um, and and what's the piece that I'll stick? And then you stick it with someone else. And I've always loved having poles, polar opposites when I want advice. Like I'd go someone way down here that is just I'd never do that, someone way up there who I'd never do that. And so I'd be able to go, right, where do I sit in the middle? And I think that's really important with everything. But, you know, I really make big decisions that I don't seek advice on. Mm. And, um, and, and if I am the expert, like, you know, like, influencer marketing and there is no the honestly you know what with what we're doing here there really isn't anyone that we can go to because we really i feel like we're right at, no one's done what we're doing for three years five years it just hasn't existed so we really feel like the whole industry is sort of taking a step at a time we all step one forward but we're all at the front of it and so there's sort of no one else so in that i just have to read the play you know, that for me is my own instincts and going, right, how does this look? And I obsess over that. So, but I, I haven't I haven't had any shite advice. Um, and I, I would never think the advice is bad. I would always go, I shouldn't have taken it. You know, people who should give advice, that's their gut instinct and their opinion. If I take it, that's wrong on me. You know, if I trust in that and I haven't thought about it objectively, that's my my fault. Often in uh, entrepreneurship, uh, especially for founders like yourself, it can be very long and sometimes uh, it could be a lonely road. And I've heard you say in the past how important it is to be brave and to fight. Uh, now, besides belief in the vision, what practical actions or tools help you and feed you to keep fighting on? Look, to be honest, it's my mental state of mind. Like it's my, it's for me, because I burn. I rev hard, um, I burn out and, um, I, I mean, this sounds stupid, but I, I, I swear by it. For me, it's sleep, it's food, it's water, and it's exercise. Like, I, <laughs> like literally at the moment on the, the top of my to-do list, I always have a mantra, right? So I go into my to-do list and I'm absolutely fastidious about taking notes. Like I'm just constantly thinking of things and writing them down because it empties my brain. I don't have to go, shit, I've got to remember that, right? So I will I will refer to my to-do list 150 times a day, right? That's literally my brain. Everything else is just is for the same reason, presence of mind. At the top, I've had things like say no, you can't achieve everything. So basically – and Ram, as you know, I was very close to saying no to this because I've got about six podcast requests and I, I just can't do more, you know, like I literally cannot. But, you know, this is such a fantastic podcast, um, but I can't do it all. And so that gives me permission to say no because I feel horribly guilty about that and I feel arrogant doing it, especially because, you know, so many people give me time. And then this one is sleep is strength. I mean, it sounds so bizarre, but at the top of my my mantra at the moment is sleep is strength. For me, I have to sleep. And then the water is my bottle of water. I've got to drink water, right, because I've got to get through the day. And then 
I've got to eat well and then I've got to do exercise and, and those are really important things and that just gives me everything that I need to be able to be on the front foot yeah. um, rather than being on the front foot because, you know, my it feels already there's a huge weight on my shoulders from this thing and if I'm tired, I start to get depressed and see it through shit-coloured glasses and I take things for granted and everything's bigger problem than it is and it just all comes down to my mental state of mind. Yeah, you've definitely fired me up. Uh, it's very similar to how I approach anything um, with all those things that you discussed. And I think uh, it does go back to giving yourself the best possible chance to succeed. You know, yeah. And there are no, you know, hundred percent like this is this is going to work perfectly. Um, but giving yourself the amount of sleep, filling up the container giving yourself the, the, the repair and the rest it needs, all those things. Um, you know, we had on the show uh, last year, Dr. Carmel Harrington, who's been studying uh, sleep for over 20 years. Um, so she fully brought to light the importance of sleep um, and preparing yourself for sleep as well and, and all mm. the things around that. And it's actually mind-boggling how the average is around the six-hour mark for people and they feel like it's adequate, but what it's actually doing to your body is detrimental. Oh, mate. It's scary. Oh, I, <laughs> I am like I can sleep for sixteen hours. Yeah. <laughs> like if I I came back the other day, and that's not after a hangover or an all nighter. Like I can get my body to a point, like if I've been running low like an hour here and an hour there, like I've had to embrace the embarrassing nature that I actually need nine plus hours to feel at my best, nine or 10. And I could sleep for 12, you know. If I was left, I'd sleep for 12. And I and when I wake up, I feel absolutely amazing, but it seems absurd. I mean, I, I, it feels like I have chronic fatigue or something, but then during the day, I'll be punching so hard. Well, here's a, here's a quick one for you, Jules. That uh, so don't feel bad about the nine hours. Um, uh, Dr. Carmel said that uh, when I asked her what's the adequate amount of sleep for every person, she said, "Well, everyone's different." And she said, "The best way to find out what your measure is of of hours is look back at the time when you had your most relaxing holiday or holidays." Yeah. And she said, "When you've had nothing to really plan for the next day in terms of a deadline." And what was your natural hours of sleep? And mine was nine and a half. Yeah, I'd I said easy. nine and a half. Yeah, and I was like, where I woke up naturally and I felt fresh and I didn't feel groggy and I felt good. She goes, well, well, yours is nine and a half. So each to yeah. their own. Like if I if I went to sleep at ten on a holiday, ten p.m. I could easily sleep till nine. Yeah. I could easily sleep 11 hours, yeah. right? <laughs> and the funny thing is I'd be sleeping there and then during the day I wouldn't be that active. So then you go into really brain drain territory, which is your normal day, and then you're having less. So you, you're exerting more, sleeping less. Anyway, I, I, I've just had to embrace it. My wife hates it because <laughs> all I do, like I'll put sleep ahead of my family now. I'll put it ahead of everything because I just go, I'm not happy. I don't feel human. I'm not enjoying life unless I'm rested. Yeah, and, survival. Um, yeah. Anyway. Awesome. So a few more questions for you, mate. Uh, a question I ask all my guests, if you could travel back in time for 30 seconds and speak to Junior Jules, the youngster finishing high school, what would you tell him? I'd probably say when you get on Getaway and you spend nine years travelling, party more. 
because I just took it way too seriously. I can now think back to all these amazing places I was going to, and I'd I'd I'd, I'd literally put sleep ahead of it. And so, I, you know, every not that everyone went out a lot, but I'd be like, no, I've got to do pieces to camera in the morning. So, you know, I'd be in New York City, so I'm just going to have an early night. I'd be in Vegas. It's like. F that, like literally now I was in my 20s. If I went back, I would be, I wouldn't care how many takes it would take to spit out a piece to camera. I'd do it still drunk the next morning. <laughs> um, I would go and party hard. And then I suppose the the last one would be like get into the, get fitter and get into the gym a lot earlier. Like I, I was, um, you know, I was active in primary school you know, to grade six, which is 11 years of age, high school, I was a slob. And then by the time I got to 22 and I won 15 days of fame, I had the world's biggest beer gut. It was a beer gut and it was just full of toasted sandwiches, right? Can't and imagine so, that. I can't imagine oh, that, mate. mate. I just, I was like pear-shaped. And so um, when I said, like, I have to become the adventurous host, I said, I have to pretend like I'm outdoorsy. I have to pretend like I'm sporty, right? And so that I just got so fit and I got a personal trainer and spent heaps of money and he just sh- shredded me and got me buff. And um, and that was at 22. But by then my body, like it just, like it was just so much harder. And so I still have the personal trainer and because I can't go to the gym by myself, I'm just not in that you know, I just hate it, but I, I, I'm happy to let myself down, but I don't want to let someone else down. So I sort of book it in and I turn up and, and it gives me the stamina I needed. But, um, yeah, I wish that I, at school, you know, I was more confident to do running or play footy or something. And um, I reckon that would have set me up a lot better, but it just took me way too long to get into a routine. What's your uh, routine at the moment, by the way? Is it every morning? So I'll or? train. Yeah, no, I'll train. I mean... So Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 8 a.m., I'll go to the gym till 9, um, and then Tuesday, Thursday, I'll go for a sort of 45-minute run. But that I've done that this week. I wouldn't be able to keep that up too much because I'll be travelling and stuff. But the run is important just to clear the head. And you know, I've also tried to really want to do a bit more smiling mind mindfulness, smiling mind app, um, because I think that's really good to quieten my busy brain as well. So that's another habit that I've slowly poking at. Well, you're in good shape, mate. So uh, keep it up. Uh, who has been an impactful giant thinker in your life? That person who has inspired you to think bigger and dig deeper in helping you reach your full potential. Um, look, I, I would say there's two people. One's Jim Stein. So Jim Steins was a um, AFL footballer. In he lived in Melbourne. He played for the Melbourne Demons. Um, he was uh, formerly a Gaelic footballer in Dublin, Ireland. He came out when he was about 18, and um, he knew nothing about the sport. Um, he had some really big, um, really big. Uh, challenges like he cost um his football team a spot in the grand final um when he was young and didn't understand the rules as well and um and then he was sort of outcast um and easily could have gone back to Ireland with his tail between his legs but he decided to face it head on and because of that sort of that adversity he um he put his head down so much that he he he's got the record for playing the most consecutive games of football in history 
he played like 244 games in a row, which is like 12 years of football, and he was playing in the most demanding role, which was Ruck. Um, and he came out to my school when I was 15. He was the one who founded the Reach Foundation, which is the organisation that I was I was working for. And when he came out, I was a shitty 15-year-old, close to getting booted out of school at a five-year bond for graffiti, and I was just trying to sabotage his sort of his presentation. And then, you know, I turned up to one of his courses because he started to speak a bit of sense. And then, you know, he, he took an interest in me and, and, and became my mentor and, and just gave me an enormous amount of opportunities. He just, he, he sort of nurtured, but also pushed me out of my comfort zone, challenged me, taught me how to be a TV presenter, even though he'd never done it himself, but taught me how to talk out in schools and be comfortable in front of crowds. And, you know, that was from 15. So I, I did my first MC gig because of him and I'm still doing them sort of, you know, like 22 years later. and. Um, and he was incredible in, and um, sadly passed away. Um, he had 26-odd tumours uh, all through his body and, and I was lucky enough to be able to be by his side through that process and film a documentary, which was sort of my expression for um, creating content. And, and I just had my little Casio camera before smartphones and just filmed, you know, behind the scenes. And, and then my other mentor, um, Paul Curry, who was um, him and Jim were the founders of the Reach Foundation, um, he's a film director. We pulled something together and before Jim died, he was able to see himself being celebrated in a, in a powerful documentary about, you know, this just this the, the psychology and the, the strength of mind of someone battling this horrendous, insidious disease. So he's passed away, but I still feel him guiding me. Um, and so I've been, I was very fortunate to have him. And then, you know, one of the, when I first turned up to that course, there was 30 kids and there was, you know, kids that were on heroin, kids that were living on the streets or in detention centres or, you know, um, psychiatric units, um, all the way up to private schools and they're, they're, they're living in mansions but their dad never really being around for them. You know, there was 30-odd kids and I'm sort of sat in the middle. And this other kid came in from another school and um, and his name was Sam Kavana, um, Sammy Cav, and we became best mates. And so that was 23 years ago. And so um, we've been close ever since. And he's my age, but um, I just find him so inspiring. And he's just continually pushed himself to be better in every facet of life, whether it's his work with community, him being a great son, um, him in his work, him in his health, him in his finances. I've just watched this guy just apply himself and go, what else can I do in my life and just be better? And, you know, he just drives me, you know. He's just, I just get to have what I would say is the, just the world's best human uh, as a best mate standing beside me and he's just emotionally intelligent. And so, you know, in the early days when I had the opportunity to get involved in radio, um, winning that competition, I brought him in. He was studying criminology and he got into radio and, and then has spent, you know, the time since um, uh, producing Hamish and Andy show, which is a, a you know probably well would be Australia's greatest um, radio um, act ever, and um, and Sammy um, is now working on Triple M, and he's also on our board at Tribe, and um, he helps guide me here as well. So it's just great to have. A, per, a person like that who he probably gets embarrassed because I say, you know, you're my mentor when he's my age, but I, I just can't think of anyone better to, um, to, to 
to be inspired by. Yeah, it's an incredible uh, circle and network that you're surrounded with, um, Jules. So that's that's you know um, a testament to to those people too. Um, now, what's next for you and everything you're involved in? Uh, we're recording this in Feb uh, this year, uh, 2018. So, any exciting things you can reveal? Whew, um, nah. <laughs> you know, I'm putting I'm putting my head down. You know, I've, you know, we're at the start of a year. It's really exciting. Got a lot to do. Um, I really believe in our vision, unlocking the world's creativity. Um, and uh, I really believe in this product. I want to earn enough money that I don't have to work for a couple of years and take them off and do some really creative pursuits and some passion projects. Um, and I'm not earning a lot of money at the moment. It's probably going to take five or six years, but the idea is to build it and sell it, um, and I want it to be a globally dominant platform, um, the likes of Invado or Canva and, um, you know, I, I reckon it can be something really special. So, going to take a lot to get it there and um you know i've just got to balance that off with the most important things in life which is being a dad and a good husband and um and that's not easy so and then keeping all those other elements of my life afloat which is you know healthy body and mind that's it and and jules what are the numbers roughly so you you've you've had it up for a couple years i mean like how many users are, are on it yeah, well, we launched two years ago. Um, we, we've we worked with about 5,500 different brands. It's a self-serve platform, so a brand can just jump on the platform and create a brief, and before you know it, that brief ends up in the in the um, Tribe app. So in um, the App Store, it's Tribe Influencer and um, also um, in Google Play for Android. And um, and then you'll just see all these amazing briefs. So there's hundreds and hundreds of those. And and so the idea is that people just get paid to promote brands they already use and love in a really creative way. And uh, we've got about 26,000 content creators, but, you know, it could be 250,000. There's plenty of them out there, but we're, we don't really search for those. There's 50 downloaded every day and you only need as much as there is to balance the equilibrium of, of the brands. And, um, yeah, we look to um, expand globally. So we're in, in the UK, we want to um, broaden out into the broader Europe and then also through Asia. Um, and there's still plenty of growth to come. So are you in the US at the moment, Jules? No. No. no okay. No, no, no. We've got some really exciting products. So basically, you know, soon you'll be able to download the app and, and submit to campaigns without having any followers. Mm. So, you know, a lot of brands are actually – you know, they would do an influencer campaign and they'll get like 100 pieces of content and they'll see it go out in the feeds and then they go, that piece of content is so stunning that it's only been posted to 6,000 people. Like I want to purchase that and put it in a billboard. And so after a while they've come to us and said, listen, I don't even need the influencer, I just want their content. Mm. And so we're going, right, we'll just give you content-only campaigns where the influencer doesn't need to publish it, they just submit it to you and you publish it in social or on a billboard or, uh, or in a bus shelter. And so then we're like, hang on, if the, if the influencer isn't publishing it to their audience, why do they need even need an audience? Why do they even need to be an influencer? Which means anyone who can take a beautiful photo or is a graphic designer or any of the creators would be able to download the app and they look around at their life and see all the products that they already use and love and they go, geez, there's Corona or there's Samsung or there's, um, you know, whatever. There's a Google Home or there's um, Adobe or there's I use Lightroom or I use, you know, because there's 
Now, there's, there's every known product in there. Very cool. So people just will end up making cool cool amounts of money just for taking and creating cool stuff. And uh, how can listeners get in touch with you online? It's the best way. Look, I would just say, yeah, just follow the journey on LinkedIn, uh, Jules Lund. Um, and also you can follow, I think it's probably worth following at tribe.content on Instagram. We've got two Instagram accounts, but one of them is really cool. And tribe.content is just, you know, hundreds of case studies of the beautiful content that our, um, that our brands are achieving by collaborating with um, talented consumers. So that's worth having a look. And, you know, tribegroup.co is the website and you can see videos, etc. But um, yeah, that's probably the best way, Ram. Awesome. I'll uh, link that up in the blog post. Jules, thank you so much, mate, for your time. I wish you continued success in every way possible and look forward to seeing more of the enormous impact you're making for the creative community. Thank you, Ram. And, and look, you know, thank you for going to the effort, mate. Um, you know, as I say, I say, I have to say no to a lot of things, but, you know, when you've put so much energy into the research, it just makes the conversation so much better. Having said that, I probably have talked too much because I had a coffee just before <laughs> it. So you'll have to edit some of the shit out. <laughs> I appreciate it, Jules. Cheers, mate. Thank you. See you, bud. Giants, thank you so much for hanging out with me on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to Jules if anything in particular struck a chord in you. As he mentioned, he's very active on LinkedIn, so you can connect with him on there. Now, a little teaser for our next guest. He is best known for developing the free and open source web software that is insanely popular. You might have heard of it. It's called WordPress, which now officially powers 30% of websites on the internet including the New York Times, the Walt Disney Company, Sony Music, Bloomberg, BBC America, TechCrunch, even Beyonce and Katy Perry's websites run on the WordPress CMS platform. I'm very excited for you all to hear this, so stay tuned. It'll be out very soon. Now, before you race off, a quick reminder to check out Blinkist. They've solved our challenge of wanting to read our long wish list of books that we just haven't had the time to get to. And they've done this by taking thousands of the best-selling non-fiction books and distilling them down to their most impactful elements so we can read or listen to them in under 15 minutes all on our phones. Personally, I like to listen to Blinkist in the morning before breakfast or when I'm walking around to get some fresh air. The beauty is that you can listen during whatever time and place is most convenient to you. Now, the Blinkist library is huge, from classics like Think and Grow Rich to bestsellers like Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion, and all books by Tim Ferriss. My personal recommendation is for you to check out Start With Why by Simon Sinek and The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Blinkist is constantly curating and adding new titles from best of lists, so you're always getting the most powerful ideas all the time, fresh and on your phone. I found out that 5 million people are using Blinkist to learn efficiently, 15 minutes at a time, and you can too. So to start you off, they have a generous offer of 25% off for the Giant Thinkers listeners. Head to giantthinkers.com slash Blinkist to start your free trial or get three months off your yearly plan when you join today. If you do decide to purchase the yearly plan, to be completely transparent, it works out to be only $5 a month. 
Now, once again, that's giantthinkers.com slash Blinkist. The 25% off is automatically applied when you head to giantthinkers.com slash B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Head there to start your free trial or get three months off your yearly plan. For any questions or queries, the best way to reach me is on Snapchat or Instagram. Send me a message via my handle, the giant thinker. Lastly, I'll leave you with a quote that I loved from Jules who said, success comes from the person you are when no one is looking. 